Thank you for joining us today. Today I have the honor and the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Frank C. Worrell. He is the current president of the American Psychological Association. He is a distinguished professor in the Berkeley School of Education at the University of California, Berkeley, where he serves as faculty director of the school psychology program, the academic talent development program, and the California College Preparatory Academy. He is a certified school psychologist as well as a licensed psychologist. In addition to his position at UC Berkeley, Dr. Worrell is an affiliate professor in the social and personality area in the Department of Psychology. His areas of expertise include at-risk youth, cultural identities, scale development and validation, talent development, gifted education, teacher effectiveness, time perspective, and the translation of psychological research findings into school-based practice. Dr. Worrell recently came to Regent University and gave a, a talk that I sadly had to miss, um, but I heard great things about it, so I reached out to him and he's graciously um, agreed to be with us today. So, Dr. Worrell, thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. I was delighted to be invited. I like to I like to start off with um, just asking kind of your background and your general what got you interested in in psychology and, and uh, school education and psychology in particular? So I, um, you know, I came to the United States to do my PhD and I was principal of what would have been a continuation high school in oh. the U.S., what it would have been labeled a continuation high school. Okay. And so I continued to be interested in how can we help students to maximize their potential, both academic but mm. also other than academic. You know, how, how can we help them to be their best selves mm. uh, across the board? Um, I think that that's really a, a key thing in, in developing productive and contributing citizens who are going to you know, help us as we move forward in the world. Yeah. Yeah, okay. What is, out of all of your years of experience, what have you, have you found any like interesting factors or maybe even single factors that would contribute to better educating students? Um, I think we know a lot. Uh, it's hard to translate into to, to sometimes into practice. Hmm. But we talk a lot about seeing the full person, you know, you know, you know, not just the academics, you know, and even parents, you know, rewarding kids because they've gotten an A, but ah. seeing the whole person, right? Um, hmm. um, accepting people for where they are, whether they get an A or a C. <laughs> <and so forth. laughs> um, but also, I think, uh, and I study time, time perspective, I think is one of the things you mentioned, helping students to see that the future is full of possibility. Mm. I think that's a key concern. I, I, you know, I don't think I would have been here today if there were not people who said, go do what you want to do. And, mm. and, we, and we support you doing that, right? Uh -huh. um, and I think that that's really important. I think there are many kids for whom the future you know, it's not that you're trying to do something specific, but that they can have the future they want to have. Yeah, I think, yeah, that makes sense. That sounds, that's really important. I, I lived in uh, Japan for a while, and I know over there, even in high, like for high school students, if they don't get accepted into the certain high school that they were going for, which means that they would be able to go to the college that they want to go to, a lot of them end up depressed and committing suicide or withdrawing. And, right. Um, yeah, it's, it's like, I think they just have, they feel like they have no future possibilities if that if that's the case. Or, and I yeah. think that that's one of the 
things that America has really, I think, shown much of the rest of the world. Mm. I think very much um, the the European system and the British system, I don't think they were intended that way, but sometimes mm. they cut off possibilities for the future. And, and I think the American education system says you can continue. I mean, so you may not have done well in high school, but you can go to junior college or yeah. go um, some do some something post high school that actually will make you a contributing citizen and, and stuff. And th- th- those those possibilities, I think, are great. America does now; it hasn't done it equally for all groups across yeah. <laughs> its history. But I, I do think the general principle is 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 present and, and a really important one for the rest of the world to learn from. Mm. Yeah, one of my friends, his wife is Asian American, and she went to a community college, and now she's going to med school. And yeah, so that's really neat to see that. Yeah, yeah. And so, how long? Um, so you came here, you got your PhD, and what what was your PhD in exactly? Well, I was in the school psychology program, although it was education. We studied sort of education and school psychology. Um, the PhD uh-huh. was, you know, so so it was education and school psychology, sort of a combined program. Okay. Where, you know, got you know, sort of the research chops of you know and stuff, but also got the clinical practice, uh, the clinical training. Okay, so you worked in like, did you work in the high schools or? So as a as a school psychologist, um, I never worked full time in schools uh-huh. because um, when I graduated, I was a, an international student, and okay. I got an, a, a faculty position right away. So I did do some work in schools part time uh-huh. uh, when I was an assistant professor, um, mm-hmm. and it was across the board. It was I was at Penn State, so it was in rural Pennsylvania. I was working for a school district that didn't have you know um, a school psychologist. Um, uh, you know, a standing school psychologist, and so they used the services of many of us who were contracted. And yeah. so it went from elementary all the way up to high. Okay. Did you enjoy that? Yes, I did. I enjoyed practice. Um, uh, you know, in fact, my advisor who wanted me to be a researcher was afraid that she was going to lose me to practice. <laughs> um, but, you know, the thing about it is, um, you know, and, and I have a number of friends who are serious researchers who are also um, researchers do practice a day a week. I hmm. chose to do a lot of service work, and so it was a matter of research and service or research and practice, and so I, I did research and service. Okay. <laughs> and what did the service work look like? Well, service to the profession. So, um, hmm. uh, you know, so I've served on a number of committees um, of APA hmm. um, and, and, and divisions of APA, Division 5, Division um uh, 16, which is school psychology. I've also served on committees of the American Educational Research Association, the National Association for Gifted Children. And certainly at the university, you know, a part of our, the thing that we are judged on is also, you know, evaluated on is also service. I've done a lot of service. Okay. Level. And even in, in, in some communities, I was on the, at Penn State, I was on the board of directors of the AIDS project in that area hmm. um, here in California. I served on the board of directors of the East Bay Center for the Performing Arts because I, uh-huh. I sing and conduct. So, <laughs> oh wow, yeah, wow, that's neat. So yeah, you've done a lot of a lot of different service in different organizations. I imagine that set you up really well for your candidacy for the APA presidency. Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> what is it that you and uh, you know? I personally, I'm not like a big institutional or organizational type of person <laughs> uh like what is it that draws you to the service and and being a part of these organizations you know the service orientation i think came 
long before I came to the United States. Hmm. Um, you know, I my parents were both born in little fishing villages. Not, you know, they were not from very poor families. Um, hmm. You know, uh, we are talking about houses, little wooden houses, no electricity, uh, you know, gas lamps and those kinds of things. Yeah. And both of them ended up in the capital um, city um, and ended up, I think, going further than they they would have gone if they had not moved to the capital. Mm. My mom eventually, in fact, became an elementary school teacher and retired oh. as a principal. And, oh, cool. Um, and my father, who had only gone, uh, didn't even finish elementary school, um, became a police officer, but you know, just no, didn't get any promotions because he didn't have education. Oh. But one of the things that they did with a number of their friends who had moved to the capital is they formed a, an association hmm. to fundraise for kids from their villages to come to the capital to go to secondary school because oh. there were only elementary schools in their villages. Oh, and wow. so, so I grew up in a household where every year they were doing these fundraisers. Uh, for, for this um, organization. Uh, uh, the, my father's village, Toko, was the largest village, and so it was called the Toko Old Boys and Girls Association. But it really, all the villages in that area, my mother's village is Grand Rivier. Um So, and, you know, I was typed, I typed up minutes for their meetings, as, you know, all, <laughs> of, all of the kids in the households, you know, and, and ended up serving, you know, helping because my aunt was secretary and she couldn't type. So. <laughs> So I mean, with my two older sisters and then myself, and and so 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 this idea of service and mm. and when my mom, you know, became a teacher and then a principal, she was oh. a principal of again a, a school that was outside the capital, and they didn't have a lot of money, so like they'd be having these fundraisers to buy a photocopy oh, <laughs> and yeah. things that we take for granted in schools here, yeah. and so. I would be, the, you know, be helping there with, the, you know, them with the Mayfair and, and, and the other fundraisers that they were doing. Um, one that I recall specifically because I have a loud voice mm-hmm. is they were having a fashion show, uh-huh. but they didn't have a microphone. Uh-huh. So I was, the, I was their microphone. That's when I told <laughs> what the color was and what the frills were and stuff. Oh, and wow, that, that's cool. But, uh, you know, <laughs> so this idea of, of giving back. And, mm-hmm. and again, my mom um, was very involved in the church. She was church secretary, um, treasurer mm-hmm. of the Mother's Union. I mean, so so the idea of service is something that was really uh, an intimate part of my household growing up. Yeah, yeah, it makes complete. Yeah, you grew up, grew up like embedded in your family and the culture, and then uh, and it also it hit me that your mom worked in the in education, and so yeah, and then you ended up yeah, that's neat. Yeah, I bet your parents um, are. Can I ask? Are your parents still? Are, are they still around? No, no, they've both passed away. But but you know, I, I can say that without them, I would not be sitting here today. Uh, they yeah. were both incredibly proud. Mm. Um, my father got diagnosed with cancer the year I started my doctorate degree and was given oh, two years, but he lasted ten, and so he and my mother were both at my graduation. Oh, my good. Grandma. And as luck would have it that year, you can't plan these things. The graduation ceremony was on my mother's birthday. Oh, and, wow. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that so, is so neat. <laughs> yeah. Man. That's cool. Um, and so how long did you, let's, how, I should know this, but how long have you been the president of the APA now? Just this year. So it's a one year. So you serve as president for one year. It's a three-year term. You serve, you know, you get elected. Huh. Um, you, and the first year, you're president-elect. So that was last year, I was president-elect. 
this year I'm president, next year I'll be past president. And you have oh, different okay. sets of duties each, each of those years, but the year you're president is the year that you're chair of the board and sort of the face of APA um, oh. for the public, but yes. Oh, okay. And, uh, and how has your, your first year been? It's been intense. I think until you sit in this chair, in some sense, you have no idea how much is coming at you. APA is a huge organization. We currently have over 140,000 members. Um, you know, we publish 89 journals. You know, we have a staff um, of over 500 um, individuals who work for APA. Um, and, 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 and in some sense, you're chairing the board that's dealing with all of that. Now, there's a CEO, of course, who runs the organization day to day and uh, with a very competent staff. But as chair of the board, a lot of things come to you here, your president. And also then you have to respond to things that are going on in society that, you know, you may not plan for. The the mass shootings, for instance, that have been happening this year, you know, so uh, hate crimes that have gone up, increased tremendously, anti-Semitism, anti-Asian hate, um, you know, so all of that comes, you know, sort of comes at you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and deciding to, what was the decision like to decide to run for presidency? <laughs> you know, it was one of those interesting things. I had, it was not something on, on that I had planned for at all. Indeed, oh. um, my first, when I first ran for division office, I was, you know, I was serving the division. I was, um, chairing a committee for division 16, um, school psychology and, and then I was asked to run for the presidency, and, and I was like, well, you know, I'm not sure on the person who is running. You know, I was running against a, a friend and colleague uh. who had run the year before and hadn't won. And I was like, you know, I don't want to run against him and so mm-hmm. forth. But the division said, we like to run two people. And, and he, he called me and he said, don't be ridiculous, you know, <laughs> to run for it. And and the person was trying to convince me, said, oh, you never win the first time anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and so I ran for presidency of the division. Huh. And so I ended up winning, um, you know, and stuff, even though I actually voted for my colleague. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then I was president, uh, you know, past, president elect president, past president. And again, one of those strange things happened. I think we had a president who got ill or died and, so she couldn't serve her term, and so I, um, the president-elect took over, and I ended up serving for past president for two years oh. instead of one because there was this gap. Oh. And um, and the year I was past president, one of the things you do is you run the elections. Oh. <laughs> and so oh. I was running the elections for council, oh. and uh, Cecil Reynolds, who is an extremely well-known school psychologist, and in fact, well-known psychologist, the Behavior Assessment System for Children, the BASC, Mm-hmm. Used, I think all over the world, he's one of the co-authors of the best oh. other test. He, we were running him as the um, as one of our council reps. Mm-hmm. You have to run two people, mm-hmm. and every I'm trying to get people to run, and I, they ask me, "Who am I running against?" He said, "No, no, no, I don't want to do it." So mm-hmm. the deadline was upon us, and I'm rotating off the board. So I said to the board, uh, the Division 16 board, "I'll be the sacrificial lamb." Uh-huh. I'll run against him, he'll win, and, 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 and we can move on. And oh so God. I ran against him, and this time I voted for myself, and I won by one vote. <laughs> <laughs> and so I ended up being on council. It was really funny because I actually had to do a red eye because I had made arrangements to give a talk in San Francisco the night before council started because I was not planning. <laughs> I didn't anticipate that, that I would win. Uh-huh. And so being on council, then you get to see 
mm. the association from a different level, right? Yeah. Council is the governing body of APA, it sets policy. Mm. And so and during that time, the division then had um, a strategic plan and said school psychology is, you know, we're small and lots of people don't understand what we do. We should try to be more visible within APA. So that became, and so somebody should try to run for the board. <laughs> uh, oh, no. So when I was at my last year at council, I decided, you know, I was up. So, you know, we had made uh -huh. this as a division. And so I ran for the board hmm. and I ended up winning. <laughs> <laughs> so then I got to serve a term on the board. And I served from 16, 2016, 17, and 18. And so I had to make the decision, um, you know, was I going to try to run for president again? The ultimate visibility, of course, for school psychology would be the presidency of APA. Yeah. And while we had had a school psychology president before, he is actually very associated, uh, Don Bursoff. His PhD was in school psychology, but in the 60s, but he had done a lot of legal work afterwards. And taught legal uh -huh. stuff. And most people know him as sort of more forensic legal psychologist rather than as a school psychologist. Uh -huh. and so um, so I made the decision in 2019. I took a year off. Okay, I was going to run. Mm -hmm. Went, uh, announced my candidacy in February of 2022 at the APA council meeting and have COVID hit shortly thereafter. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, you know, it, but, you know, I, I ended up winning. And mm -hmm. I think in, in part... You know, and you know, and, uh, you know, this may sound um, cynical, but I think that in part, one of the things that happened in the year I was running for president was George Floyd's murder in Minneapolis, uh -huh. and I was the only minority candidate on the ballot. And uh -huh. I think, in some sense, because minority issues is sort of, sort of a galvanizing of a civil rights movement, a recognition of the importance of having role models and people mm. in places of authority yeah. who reflect the breadth of America helped contribute yeah. to the election. Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. The um, do you know the percentage of, let's say, black or African American psychologists in um, within APA? Or yeah, yeah, I don't know the exact percentage. I do know it's small. Um, hmm. the, we've done one of the things we did recently, um, as you may know, is we passed an apology. Um, to people yeah. of for psychology's role in perpetuating racism and, and, and also committed APA and psychology to moving to end systemic racism. Yeah. Um, as part of that um, work this year, we did an audit. What huh. we do know is that something like, while only 60% of the population is white, something hmm. like 78% of the psychology workforce is white, I think 76% of council is uh -huh. white, so forth. Uh -huh. So, I don't have the exact numbers for um, the different groups, but we do know that they are below their representation in the population. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people see that as a sign of racism in and of itself. And I think it's part of a, a, it's part of a broader trend in society. I mean, mm. the percentage of psychologists who are white used to be in the 90s percent. So we are trending in the right direction. And, uh -huh. and so, you know, I, before I did my PhD, I was a secondary school teacher. I taught English and history. And I like to think things from a historical perspective, right? So mm -hmm. that we are moving in the right direction, and these are things that take generations to change. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, we want them to change now in a year or two, but it's not yeah. possible. Yeah. Because we are talking about having more psychologists, more people with PhDs in psychology. That means having more people from ethnic groups go to college in the first place, not just undergraduate, but then go on to grad school. That yeah. means graduations from high school. So, so we, you know, we have a, the, the issue is not just 
um, that they are out there and they're not here, we need to actually increase the numbers of mm. individuals who have yeah. these credentials if we want to see them in the various worlds where these credentials matter. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I, And then there, there's like, you know, uh, I think 80% of, of psychologists are probably female nowadays. That's and, the other thing, yes. Yeah, yeah. and that's so, not like... That's the other thing. So, and this... It's happening in psychology, but not just in psychology. I mean, it mm-hmm. hasn't hit. I think STEM is sort of the last holdout area because, uh-huh. and even there, the biological sciences, for instance, medical doctors, for instance, you know, the biology and medicine, um, I have gotten a uh, majority. They're not quite at the level of psychology yet, but mm-hmm. um, are female. Um, and what we know and I, is that this is an issue that, again, goes all the way down uh-huh. to the K-12 system, right? Uh-huh. Um, fe- uh, female students are graduating from high school at greater rates than males. They're going on to mm-hmm. college at greater rates than males. Mm-hmm. And this is happening even in countries that we may call chauvinistic countries, countries that are very male-dominated. So, mm-hmm. so this is a, 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 a thing that we are seeing worldwide. Interesting. Um, and, um, and, you know, it's, it's of course, we want balance, and it's great because uh, uh, females were underrepresented for so long and, and still... Uh-huh. Vincent don't get paid the same amount for the same work. and that. Yeah. So we need to change those things. But I do think we need to be careful that we do not end up going from one imbalance to another uh, imbalance. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, that's very, that sounds, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you don't want to just go the opposite side of the pendulum, huh? Yeah. Right, right, yeah. So. I've, I've also heard, I don't know if you've heard of Dr. Redding, I can't think of his first name, but... Um, He's been doing work on, like, socio-political values as a diversity factor. Right. So, like, in, uh, in psychology, especially social psychology, I think, um, I think it's, like, 14 to 1 uh, liberal or Democrat and then 1 conservative. Right. Um, and that, that's, like, that's just another, another example of... Right. And, you know, it's interesting. I do think psychology is more left-leaning. I tend to be a left-leaning institution. Uh-huh. Um, you know, uh, you know, my advisor, my uh, doctoral advisor has passed away now. My understanding is she was a Republican. Um, I, I was a foreign student. I was an international student when I was here, right? So uh-huh. I, it was not, I wasn't thinking that yeah. I had looking at those. I mean, I wasn't voting. I mean, it was not something that I could do here. Yeah. Um, I do think that it is important to recognize multiple types of diversity. Hmm. And I do know that certainly conservatives, um, some conservatives within APA have felt um, in some sense isolated because Ah. of the the proportionality. Um, One of the things I tried to do this year at council, um, both in February when we were virtual and in August when we were in person is to, to, to state at the outset that, in fact, all views were welcome. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I, I'm hopeful, I think, you know, I, I know a number of conservative members said to me, even though the votes that we took sometimes didn't, they didn't vote yes, but they felt that their voices were heard. Oh, okay. And, and I think that that's a really important thing. Yeah. Ultimately, I think that for our society to, to, to be able to serve all of its members, it needs to hear all of those voices and you mm. end up with compromised positions. That's, mm. you know, which our politicians don't do very well these days. <laughs> but, uh, but I do think that, that, you know, the gridlock that we are seeing actually hurts all of us, whether mm. we are conservative, liberal, 
or somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And um, ultimately, we need to find ways to recognize everybody's voice and, and, and get everybody served. Um, yeah. I think, from me, the, the, the idea of where you draw the line is how do we help the people mm. that are supposed to serve? We, this is America. I chose this as a country, as a home country, and now I'm an American citizen. Right, but we use phrases like, you know, um, leader of the free world. Um, we use phrases like, you know, the richest country on earth and those kinds of things. Yeah. Right, you know, but California, where I am, has a huge homeless problem. I mean, New York does as well. So, yeah. I mean, we do not have many people who don't have health care. I mean, on NPR this morning, I heard that there are hospital systems that are now building low-income housing to help people who are frequent people coming to the emergency room because it's going to cost them less money. Oh, wow. Because then get their health better than to keep serving them through the emergency room. And yeah. so I think there are things that we are working towards as a society that I think should not be conservative or, you know, or yeah. liberal, right? Yeah. Really should be how do we help our, um, all of our population mm. achieve what America has, the status America has achieved. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I see why you were voted president. <laughs> um, <clears throat> out of all of the so like you know you came to Regent University and you gave a talk here I'm sure you're traveling all around the states giving talks and speeches and stuff out of all of the stuff that you're doing like what is it that you are what is it maybe that you're aiming toward or what is it that you enjoy doing the most or what's what are you passionate about right now <laughs> you know I am I am sort of passionate about psychology, um, and, and this is something that, that we've been working on for a while, but psychology sort of being recognized for its contributions. I think one of the things that happened that COVID-19 did is it put on the map psychology uh, because mental health issues became such yeah. a problem. And not just for adults, but for children, for adolescents, for the nation, right? And mm. in fact, for the world psychologists uh, uh, have waiting lists and, and so forth. But that focus, um, one of the, I think, problematic issues is that we only see psychology as dealing with mental health. So there's a lot of psychology, right? Um, yeah. Human factors, right? Educational psychology has students to learn. Social yeah. psychology, I mean, the, the, the political divide, the misinformation, you know, yeah. developmental psychology. How do we get kids to, in fact, get that sense of a, a, a hopeful future. Mm. There, there are lots of contributions that psychology make, makes across the board, right? Quantitative psychology. I do, you know, I develop um, attitudinal measures. Huh. So those things are often invisible <laughs> to the general public. Yeah. And, and, but they're extremely important for society, right? Um, the yeah. workplace right now, I mean, in, industrial organizational psychology and consulting psychology. Those, yeah, and, and so... Yeah. While it's really great that there's a recognition that we have tremendous contributions to make in the sphere of mental health, mm. we have tremendous contributions to make in the sphere of behavior across yeah. the world. And I, I think that that, that 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 has been sort of the passion, wow. um, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. I, when I came when I came into this program, I'm getting my PsyD. Um, we had a class on industrial organization. And I had no I was like, what is, <laughs> I didn't understand psychologists even could do that as a right. 
Yeah. So. Yeah, and I think and I think that's exactly it, right? Mm-hmm. So so ABA has fifty four divisions, right? And a lot of people know about clinical psych and counseling uh-huh. psych and so forth. But fewer people know about the the you know the media <laughs> division <laughs> and psychology, and then there's military psychology, and you know, and there are a host mm-hmm. of, of of other other areas that are not necessarily clinically focused. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Greater awareness of that would be would be great. Um, as a so as the president of the APA and being. Um, kind of the representative of like school psychology or educational psychology. Do you have like, do you have the ability to um, maybe, maybe advancing through your career, you saw gaps or holes that you were like, ah, if I was the president, I would, I would focus on this area. (laughs) Do you have that ability now? Uh, Not, not as much as one might think. Um, I do believe that, um, one of the things that one learns when one comes into a role like this, if one is not aware of it before, and I think the same thing happens with the president of the United States, is that mm. you have a limited ability to make huge sweeping changes, right? Huh. I think the biggest contribution I've made to school psychology is being being able to say, I'm, you know, I'm the president of AP and I'm a school psychologist. In fact, I said this at the opening of the convention okay. to the delight of Division 16. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, I'm a school yeah, psychologist. Nice. And I'm the president of the American Psychological Association. Huh. And I think that that representation is really important because it mm. also says to other school psychologists, younger school psychologists, to my students, mm. you know, and yeah. stuff, that you can be someday. And in, mm. interestingly enough, this didn't only apply to school psychologists. At convention, a lot of people came up to me, people who were from Trinidad, uh, who are psychologists here in the United States. You know, there are not a lot of us, but there are some of us, and they were at convention and they wanted to say hello to me. Oh, international nice. students came up to me and said, is it true that you were an international student? And now you're president of APA. Oh, huh. Open, you know, so so again, this idea of in, um, role, being a role model. Yeah. In fact, um, uh, Dr. Bryant, who is the president-elect, will be president as of January 1st, and I, I suggest you might reach out to her to interview her. I'm sure she'd be willing to do this. Okay. Um, has a as a has a one of her things is called representation matters one of her initiatives uh-huh. right uh-huh. Where she's going to showcase psychologists from historically excluded um, um mm. yeah. i think what um the work that i've been doing i mean you have a, a year um i was really committed to getting the um action the racial diversity equity action plan passed uh-huh. because you know we had done the apology in 2021 uh-huh. And so this year, 2022, you have to keep the momentum. Hmm. And so th- that's what I did. So I did not come in with major initiatives yeah. um, um, in the way that many presidents do. I actually said, you know, there are a number of things we need to do. We have a strategic plan. We are starting to rethink um, updating that strategic plan, which was passed in 2019. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we have got the racial equity action plan passed. Um and, and, and that's taking a look at us as an organization and saying, what are the things we need to do uh, as we move forward in this new world where we are a lot more visible than we used to be before? Mm. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. that comes with with some responsibilities, but, you know, you need resources and so forth. So thinking those, having to think those things. Through. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh. Yeah, and it goes back to just like Sorry. you talked. Yeah. Sorry, Daniel. One other thing I was going to say. Yeah. Um, one of the things I have been able to do, and I've not quite done it yet, but uh, I, I realized that I have been, you know, one of the things you do get to do as president is you get to give presidential citations. Mm-hmm. 
And um, and I had actually, um, I've done citations for a number of individuals, most of whom are not school psychologists, because, you know, you, they come from various sources. People have made tremendous contributions. But mm-hmm. I've been very intentional. And in fact, before the year ends, I will be giving uh, citations to one or two school psychologists for the work that they're doing to showcase that work. So oh. that's, that's another thing. I've yeah, good. But, yeah, yeah I, was, I was just going to say, it goes back to the earlier talk about kind of having a hope for the future or vision for the future. And yeah. and yeah, for like either international students or people in educational psychology, and they can see you and they're like, oh, that's, I can yeah. reach that one day perhaps. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. That's yeah, really no, neat. My, my mom was very instrumental in, in, this, in this idea of forward looking. Uh, my sister and I laugh all the time because... Mm-hmm. Um, my brother's sister and I, because she used to give, she had all these sayings that she had, you know, that were uh-huh. used. And, um, you know, aim for the stars, because if you miss, you can land in the treetops. If you only aim for the treetops and you miss, you land in the mud, and uh-huh. that kind of thing. And um, and one day, um, when I was taking her on a friend somewhere, because she stopped driving, I think the first day she got her driving license when she was in her 40s, and her driver's license. And she went out, and somebody um, went for a stop sign and hit, hit, hit her car. Right, oh, oh. she just did not drive after that, you know, uh-huh. and stuff. So um, I was taking her and a friend somewhere, and the friend, I, I think I was maybe eighteen, nineteen, or something like that. Uh-huh. And a friend said, "You know, what do you want Frank to be when he grows up?" And I'm, I'm, I'm driving, right? I'm rolling my eyes, thinking, "Why did you even ask that?" You know. <laughs> and my mother said something that was absolutely incredible that I have never forgotten. She said, "You know, I really don't care what he does." I just want him to do it well. So, for example, if we are walking on a street in the capital and you say to me, well, my God, look how clean the street is. This is the cleanest street in the capital. I can say to you with pride, my son cleans this street. And and I I, I thought at the time, yeah, if I told you I'm becoming a street sweeper, yeah. Let's see how that's (laughs) going to work. But as I got older, and you know, and started studying and study what I study, uh-huh. what that message meant, you know, was taken on greater significance. Right? Mm, yeah, yeah. My my mom's. Uh, I grew up in a Christian family, and my mom liked Proverbs a lot, and or maybe it wasn't from Proverbs, but there was there's a verse about whatever you do, do it unto the Lord and not unto men. Right. And she always talked to me about like giving it my best and regardless of what other people, regardless of praise from men. But yeah, right. that's yeah, kind of. I've always said, my, my mom, there was the hierarchy. I mean, uh, a psychologist is not in her, her plan, <laughs> actually. Number one was priest, <laughs> number two was doctor, <laughs> medical <laughs> stuff. And I didn't do either. But, <laughs> but as she said, do, do what you want, you know. So. Yeah. <laughs> And you're doing it very well, it looks like. So, yeah, that's, wow. that's great. Um, but do you have, did you have, uh, so like I'm more interested in the therapeutic or the clinical aspect. And so I look up to like Carl Rogers or, you know, Carl Jung, people like that. Did you have people in like educational, in the educational psychology field that you looked up to or read or? Right. You know, the theorist who I think was most instrumental in, in, in for me, was Eric Erickson. Oh, oh yeah. um, You know, psychosocial theory. And, and, I, and I recognize, like many theories of its generation, it was sexist and, you know, you know, theory, you know, you know the theory of man, right? So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but 
But the idea that psychology and social and the social environment interact, I think, mm. I think it's interesting because Erickson's theory, I mean, there's not, he didn't have a lot of empirical study. It was really theoretical. Yeah. But I think we have seen much of what he has said come to pass. A lot of the work on risk and resilience, right? Mm. On individuals from poverty who then end up being successful, right? Mm. You know, uh-huh. if they find somebody or something in the environment that actually supports them, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. I study when I I study you know things like motivation or time attitudes or whatever. They're psychosocial theories, right? Uh-huh. When I, you know. From somebody from a poor family who, in fact, didn't necessarily plan to go to college, mm. right? But I have an environment that says to me, "Well, you can do whatever you want to do," and so as and I do well in school, and then and these opportunities present themselves, and and I think that's that's I think so key as we move mm. through our lives, right? Yeah. That was a stage theory, and I, um, and I know in many cases stage theories are going out of vogue, but I mean yeah. he pointed us to so many important things. I mean, the study of identity, mm. not just ego identity, but cultural identities, actually, which I study as well, okay. come out of his work. He recognized that African-Americans and Native Americans would have a harder time achieving a, 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 having an achieved identity in the context of racism in the United States. Mm. Right? That's in his early writings. And yeah. so his, his, um, the importance of relationships as you go into young adulthood, right? So uh-huh. moving from friendships and so forth to romantic relationships as you move forward. I mean, the, uh, and I like the idea, his, his last stage talks about, you know, generativity. When you look back on your life, mm. you look back with a sense of integrity or despair. Mm. And of course, you want any, everybody to look back with a sense of integrity, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter whether they were a bus driver or um, a, a medical doctor, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter. Did they make a contribution? Did they do a good job in their sphere? Do, are they happy with the contributions that they have made, mm. given where they were and what they were doing? I, I, so I think that that theory for me has really been at the heart of my work, much of the work that I do mm. uh, and, and stuff. And I think it's a really, um, really important perspective. Yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I like, I, I like, I've never read actual like Eric Erickson's actual works. I've read textbook, you know, exam- like yeah, um, summary. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah. I would like to read his his work though. Yeah, um, no, uh, he has a 1950 book and a 1968 book, and I think, you know, the, the chapters, I, I think, you know, when you look at the chapters on, on, on identity, on, on African-Americans, on Native oh. Americans and stuff, I mean, in some sense, I mean, it's sort of sort of profound, right? Because many, many of the issues, you know, um, um, around stereotype threat, which is mm-hmm. a leading social psychological theory, is really an identity theory. That's what it is. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's a psychosocial identity theory, right? Uh-huh. About how the messages that society gives to a particular group then results in that group having, you know, the stereotypes that that group, that, that those stereotypes then affecting the performance mm. uh-huh. of, of, of individuals in, the, in, in a situation where that stereotype is, is, is invoked. And so, yeah, so, you know, so I, I think it's a, a theory that has had tremendous explanatory power, mm. which I think is what theories need to do. Yeah. Does, do you know if anyone's? I've never heard that Erickson talked about that, like African American and the, the, the society. And do you know if anyone's credited him for that? 
Well, I do in my work. I mean, uh, you yeah. know, you, the, the thing is, articles are getting shorter and shorter, so you can do less and less. Yeah. But you can, but you can make um, reservations. I have a, a chapter um, in uh, a book um, uh, in twenty fifteen chapter. Well, you know, cultures, race, ethnicity, and I, I'm, I and I talk about you know, and the okay. early part of the chapter, I talk about that. I can certainly send it to you if you'd be interested. Yeah, yeah, I would yeah. Love, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, last question. Um, you talked about one of the main things that you would like to see, and that America does pretty well, is that even if you've gone, you know, to community college, or you don't have to go to these. Ivy League schools in order to have a good career and get into a good, like a med program, for instance. Um, but you like the vision and people and understanding that society and the culture impacts the way that you move through the world. Um, as far as the educational and the school systems go, what would what do you what what's, what's the next step? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um... You know, it's a, a hard prescription. I, I think, I actually think it's a combination of, you know, rigor with support. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, um, one of the things that I have been struck by, and I think we see it, is that students in less in law resource schools, you know, students, students in school districts where there's a lower tax base and so forth, uh-huh. do not get as rigorous an education. Hmm. as students in other places. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you you always know that it, 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 it... I shouldn't say you always know, but certainly one example of that is when you see it manifesting itself in television stories. Um, uh-huh. I was a big fan of um, crime stories, perhaps because my father was a policeman. Uh-huh. And, you know, there was a law and order criminal intent, I, I think it was, um, an episode where there was this young man who, you know, he was in college and stuff, and african-american and many of the things that were standard readings uh-huh. <laughs> that other students at that university had done uh-huh. he had not heard of the books mm. right yeah. um when i came to berkeley i was interviewed by an education reporter um and one um uh so shortly after i got here in the first couple of years and she talked about going to have having dinner at a friend's house and the friend's son had taken the sat and he came home and said to his mom, and the mom shared this with her, you know, I'm one of the top students in my school, <laughs> you know, um, uh-huh. and I went into this exam, and there were just so many things I had just never heard of. Mm, man. Right? Yeah. And so, and I think, and I think there's often an assumption that the kids from low-income and, and minoritized backgrounds cannot deal with the rigor, right? And uh-huh. so, we are sort of being, we're helping them. <laughs> But I think they need they need the rigor. They are going to be competing nationally, and I think they yeah. can deal with the rigor. I think that's what you see when you see, in fact, those of us who come from outside. Mm-hmm. So you know, and, and 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 they deal with the rigor in the wealthy districts, or <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. in those districts. So I, I do think that ultimately we need to try to equalize the mm-hmm. quality of education. I think uh-huh. because one of the most profound things that's holding America back is the achievement gap. Mm-hmm. And people talk about, and, and people talk, say, you shouldn't call it an achievement gap, you should call it an opportunity gap, because they don't have the same opportunities. And I can agree with saying there's an opportunity gap, but whether you say which which causes which, there's an opportunity gap, which results in an achievement gap, which then mm-hmm. results in more opportunity gaps. It's a mm-hmm. cyclical relationship. It's not one or the other. They both mm-hmm. exist, and uh-huh. they are 
And so that's, I think, the most profound thing that we have to change in mm. society to, to get to where we need to be. And equalizing the education, that's naturally bringing them up, not the other way around yeah, as well. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Raising the floor. Raising the floor. And I, you know, uh, one of the things I've said, you know, and, uh, you know, the reason that the achievement gap is a problem uh-huh. is less because of the gap itself, but what it represents. Hmm. But students at the lower end of the gap are not performing in the competent range, hmm. right? Uh-huh. And, you know, they're not, if you look at using the National um, um, uh, Assessment of Educational Progress, the NAEP data, they use, they talk about, you know, below basic, basic, etc. There's proficient and advanced. Hmm. And proficient, which is, a, you know, is, is where you're being, you know, you can do the work rep- rep- representative for your grade level. Yeah. Every group, I mean, you know, the 80% of students African-Americans, Hispanics, and so forth, are not a proficient. Hmm. But we have huge numbers, you know, like 40%, 50% of whites and Asians who are not proficient either. So hmm. while the, the gap is most extreme in the historically marginalized groups, there's a problem across the board. Our education system has a problem across the board when you hmm. look at it. And if you saw the recent data, um, COVID post-COVID-19, or, well, you know, not post, but you know yeah. what I mean, um, the individuals who are affected the most, who lost the most during the two years of the shutdown, hmm. are the individuals with the lower scores. Uh-huh. So, you know, and stuff. It's, you know, the, the opposite of a Matthew effect, right? Uh-huh. The poor getting poorer, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. And stuff. And so that's, you know, that's, I think, our most profound challenge. Hmm. And I, I know that, you know, there's been, I know that, uh, uh, what's it called? Affirmative action is kind of controversial. And I've heard some people say like, well, the you're letting them, you know, the people who are not achieving at the same level as, as their peers, you're letting them into schools, but then they're not, they're not at that proficiency level. And so it's harder for them. They take out loans and then they end up not, not passing or something like that. I don't know. I've heard that kind of argument. Yeah, affirmative action is controversial. I have, uh, you know, I have friends who are for it and friends who are against it. Mm. I would say, I would say this, that I think in many cases an affirmative action is practiced. It's not that it's being given to people who couldn't do the work, Uh right? Uh What happens is we have more people who are, who can get in than Uh we have slots, right? Uh Right? And because of the achievement gaps, because of distributions, right? Uh Right, so certainly there are some groups. There are more of them at the upper end than mm. at the lower end, and so therefore they get in in greater numbers. Mm. What affirmative action did is when it allowed people who, in fact, could do the work to get in to okay. these places, uh-huh. even though so they're more than past the floor you need to getting in. Uh-huh. So, so that's in fact what it did, I think. To oh, I see. And I think we've seen the benefit of it. And in fact, there's some literature that actually says that the greatest beneficiaries of affirmative action were white females. Oh, really? Right, yeah. So, oh. so um, that, you know, because, again, um, you know, so, the, uh, you know, because, you know, all of these things intertwine, right, and, yeah. and so forth. Um, I do think that there is, there is a psychological concern about affirmative action that needs to be addressed, and that, but I think that can be addressed with supports. And, and we don't think about it a lot, and it's sometimes used as saying we shouldn't do it. But if, in fact, let's say I'm a professor here at Berkeley, uh-huh. 
I was told once by a staff member, <laughs> yeah, she, uh, I had been here for 10 years, and she said, you know, you weren't the uh, most qualified person when you when we hired you, you know. Ah. In other words, I didn't get here because I was um, the most qualified candidate. I was um, given the job here at Berkeley because I was black wow. and, and stuff. And I, and I said, I didn't ask for that. And if that's what Berkeley did, that's on them. Wow. I said, I'm not going to apologize for exceeding expectations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so because at the end of the day, you can't tell me that I should not be here now. Yeah. <laughs> Whether, in fact, you may have thought that then. Yeah. You certainly cannot say that now. That's a good response. So, um, so we need to provide, but I think we need to provide supports because there are some people who, if they think that they mm. got the job, not because they were qualified, but because of of their ethnicity or race or whatever, uh-huh. um, are sometimes undermined, right? Yeah. Their, their confidence, their self-esteem, their self-efficacy in the job is undermined. Yeah. And so, in fact, if we are practicing affirmative action, we need to recognize that that's a possibility and have, mm. in, in some sense, I said, rigor with support. Nah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah. stuff, right? So, so, so we need to provide the, the appropriate support as well if we're going to be practicing affirmative action. In California, we are not allowed. In fact, it's against um, state policy to use affirmative action. Oh, so really? It's not, yeah. So, so even so, if it was practiced in my case, it was done illegally. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and how do you? What is the the roadblock to equalizing education or opportunity? Is it just is it finances or? You know, I think it's a combination of things. I think, you know, again, it's one of those things that we need to keep working at. Mm. It's certainly resources. I think, you know, schools have fewer resources. But what that translates into sometimes is is, is less effective teachers, um, yeah. you know, and stuff. I think belief systems that, um, you know, that, you know, belief systems that not just educators hold, mm. but children and their, their families, right? Mm. Um Think about what happens when um, kids from families with resources say they want to go into field, sometimes like acting or something that is really difficult to make it in. Yeah. Many parents say that their kids don't do that, not because they don't love their kids, mm. but they don't think their kids will succeed or be able to make a living, yeah. right? Because it's sort of a relief about you know, the capacity of the kid to break through to get to the level where one can be successful as a musician or, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Um, and, stuff. and so I think those belief systems play a role. Of course, the, the irony is, right, there are many there are many black kids, black boys in particular, mm. who think that it's easier to get to the NBA and the NFL uh-huh. is to become a medical doctor. And of course, it's just the opposite, right? Mm. The, you know, the, 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 all of the major sports, the, you know, track and field, basketball, baseball, um, you know, um, hockey and uh, um, football, I think they take in about 300 people a year. Mm. <laughs> it's an inc- incredibly exclusive club yeah. to get there. Yeah. Right? Whereas think of the number of doctors that we get every year, the number mm. of psychologists, and uh-huh. the thousands, right? Uh-huh. Um, but they're seeing these role models, on the, they're seeing them on the television. I mean, mm. They're visible, yeah. right? Yeah. Those of us in other fields are not visible. We, so yeah. schools need to make them visible to the youth because it's not yeah. just the teachers who sometimes don't believe, the youth sometimes don't believe that they can get there. Yeah. <laughs> And stuff. So, so there are lots of things that that, that we need to change, and, mm. and 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 I think, 
you know, I, I do work, um, I have some colleagues who I do work with in New Zealand, and I, I, I've watched them, and they have similar gaps, right, and, you know, mm-hmm. stuff. And so it's interesting to learn from others. This is, a, this is not a uniquely American issue. Uh-huh. We often, I think, one of the things we do not do as much in this country is to look at other countries and mm-hmm. stuff. Not to say that we need to do things exactly the way they do it, but to yeah. learn from the way they are trying to do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's really sad because um, even, like, so you're the president of the APA and you have a, a big place now, um, but society idolizes, like, the football players and the money and the cars and all that. So it's yeah. hard. Even you're going you're gonna to definitely be a role model and stand out to quite a few people, but it's not on the same mass societal scale as, like, Right. Yes, yeah. I, I don't have the cachet. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I was doing music in, in Trinidad, and I remember when I was growing up, I, I think it was the 1976 Olympics, um, a Trinidadian won the 100-meter sprint. Right? Oh, yeah. And, of course, it was a national holiday. There were, you know, the, uh-huh. the, the, national, the planes on the national fleet, you know, the airline was <laughs> named for him. Oh, I cool. think that, um, um, I think it was maybe the next year, 77, or somewhere around that time, then mm. somebody won Miss Universe, right? The Trinidadian oh. won Miss Universe, and it was the same thing. Mm. Well, a Trinidadian, um, you know, won an international music competition and, and, and stuff, and it was and it's, and it's the same. And in fact, if you think about Miss Universe versus the music competition, the, the music competition, there's a lot, lot more work. <laughs> <laughs> but there was nothing. There was absolutely nothing. Uh-huh. You know, it was, you know, it was a very, very different level Right, yeah, you know, and, and stuff, and so, so that I think is something that we need to celebrate, mm. right? Mm. All of the, you know, so you know, but we venerate people because you know the actors and and athletes get the amount of money that they get, right? Yeah. So yeah. not just visibility, right, but the the coin of the realm, right? Yeah. yeah, they get a lot of it much more than other other people do. Yeah. Well, Dr. Worrell, I want to be respectful of your time. I really, again, appreciate talking to you. This has been a lot of fun and very enlightening. Um, So, yeah, thank you for joining me, and best of luck with everything. Thank you very much again. Thank you for the invitation, and uh, and best wishes with your studies. Ah, Thank you, sir.